This is Outspoken, the podcast that's not afraid to say exactly what you're thinking. Our names are Amy, Kate and Sophie Torber. We're identical triplets, but we often don't have identical opinions. So sometimes things can get heated. Outspoken covers all things reality TV, influencers, entertainment and issues facing women. That is so fetch. Thank you. Welcome back to Outspoken. It's just Kate and I on the mics today because Amy is holding down the fort at Hula Media. It is such a crazy time of year being so close to Christmas. So you've just got us today. But Kate, we are super excited because we're going to be talking about some influences that Amy is not really interested in. Yeah, I can't wait to get into that. But before we do, I wanted to discuss quite a deep topic with you, Sophie. Now, you know my love for Mexican food. And I want to know, why is Guzman and Gomez the influencer's number one Mexican choice? What about sombreros? Why are sombreros always forgotten? To me, it is the elite Mexican Mm. food. It is the number one choice. But they're always going on about, as they call it, GYG. Maybe they just don't have good taste when it comes to Mexican food. And I do think in Adelaide, we have way more Zambreros than we do have Guzman and Gomez. I've actually never had Guzman and Gomez, so I don't think I can give a definitive answer of what is better. Don't waste your time. It's nowhere near (laughs) as good as Zambreros. I feel like a lot of people are going to be screaming while listening to this podcast, but I feel like Zambreros is way better. There's something about that sauce. I wish I could buy it. Well, one influencer has put Guzman and Gomez in the spotlight this week. It is Mitch Third. Now, Mitch Third is an entrepreneur and influencer. Now, for those who have been listening to the podcast for a while, they will know there have been many instances where Mitch has raised eyebrows for filming Insta stories on his phone whilst driving. Earlier this year, we spoke about Mitch filming whilst talking about his brand new Tesla that he was taking for a bit of a test drive. Now, Mitch is in hot water again for filming himself going through a drive through at Guzman and Gomez. Now, he was in the driver's seat and whilst he's there, he started filming himself as the fast food worker passed through his coffee and burrito. And you can see the fast food worker's face. She does not look impressed to be in the background. She looked very uncomfortable. I would hate it personally because... There's something about being in your work uniform when you work in the fast food industry. I mean, I never actually worked at McDonald's or KFC, but I worked at Baker's Delight and you had to wear a very unflattering uniform with a hairnet and it wasn't a great look. Definitely not. Now, this Insta story, it kind of got a little bit desperate because he ended up tagging Guzman and Gomez in the post and wrote, sponsor me. Now, Mm. Guzman and Gomez actually reshared this post and they didn't write anything to Mitch. So Mitch responded to them (laughs) saying, guys, I'm serious. Now, the Mexican fast food chain replied to Mitch saying, now we can't condone IGing and driving, but you keep creating amazing content and eating GYG and we will see where we get. Mitch then wrote, cut the shit. I literally pay the rent at Guzzi's Burley. Let's make it happen. Now... (laughs) This whole interaction, which he shared to his Insta story, reeked so much of desperation over this sponsorship. And I feel like this would be you, Kate, trying to get Zambreros on board as a sponsor for our podcast. Yeah, I'm only mentioning it about 100 (laughs) times, but they're not picking up on it. No, but in all seriousness, it is funny seeing influencers beg for sponsorships because... I mean, I suppose I give him praise in the fact that it's actually a product that he stands by, but then just eat it and don't go on about it. I do love the fact that GYG has created this new phrase called IGing and driving and the fact that they did say (laughs) we do not condone this activity because I'm sorry, there are so many influencers doing the wrong thing at the moment. 
filming themselves driving. I don't know how the police or people don't send in the vision to the police and they cop a fine because it is so Mm. dangerous to be doing this. And yes, I understand he was in a drive-through, but that you could still run into in the back of someone's car. Someone could be being an idiot and walking across the drive-through. You've got to be so careful when you're driving. I also have to note that in this insta story that he filmed he is sporting a new mullet and earring and people always do say that after a breakup you change your hairstyle up and i think that is what is going on here he's going through a bit of a Mm. existential crisis where he's mixing things up maybe he's a bit more desperate Mm. for sponsorship because he's no longer with talia skeins he's got to be begging for the sponsorships well on that topic do you know much about the rumours that he's meant to be dating Lily Brown? Yeah. I think that she and she's just sided with Mitch because presumably, as we reported on a couple of months ago, that um, it does appear that Talia started dating someone very soon after she and Mitch mm. broke up. So maybe Lily doesn't like the way that Talia's handled things. Well, you're saying that because Lily Brown has actually unfollowed Talia Skeins and a lot of people thought that might be a sign that Mitch and her are dating. But I mean, it seems like a pretty normal thing for friends to pick sides. And it does seem like Mitch is stronger friends with Shani and Lily than, than Talia was in the first place. Now, back to the video, I feel like we do really have to spare a thought for all of those poor people working in fast food who get stuck in the background or get involved in these influencer challenges because there's so many viral challenges surrounding McDonald's, Hungry Jack's. And pe- well, drive-throughs, essentially. Yeah, drive-throughs, and people really do take the piss. I remember watching a video a couple of years ago where UK influencer Anastasia Kings North went through the same McDonald's drive-through fifty times, and this was the same drive-through that she did all of her kind of viral videos through. And I feel like these people were just sick to death of her. I think that you should be banned if you're doing something like that. I mean, maybe not if it's Anastasia Kings North because she does have. A million followers and it is good exposure for McDonald's but if there was a normal person driving through 50 times and causing a nuisance would they not tell them to piss off yeah I just can't imagine I mean it's already a depressing place enough probably to be working in fast food to then have to deal with these dickheads who are so privileged yeah. and they're taking the piss out of you while you're just trying to do your humble job no. Can I give us one fucking sauce? I told you to check the bag I told you, I asked you to... Are you fucking kidding? Babe, I said... I checked the bag and I saw one sweet and sour sauce, so I just presumed that they would have given us three like I asked. No, that McDonald's never gives you what you want. That's fucking bullshit. Molly May Haig has given an unprecedented look into her life in an interview on podcast The Diary of a CEO. The 22-year-old creative director of Pretty Little Thing opened up about how she'd become the biggest influencer in the UK. Firstly, Kate, what did you think about the interview? Well, the thing that first took me by surprise was how long the interview was. So it went for an hour and 42 minutes, which is pretty unheard of when it comes to celebrity interviews. And Molly May doesn't really give that many interviews herself. Now, the other thing that hit me whilst listening to the interview was this completely different side of Molly that I got to listen to. Now, I obviously don't know her personally, but I have watched every episode of her series of Love Island and also a lot of her vlogs. 
And I've never heard her speak the way she did in the interview. She came across as unapologetically driven, business savvy and confident in her ability. And she also very much owned her success and her status in the influencer space as the top dog. Now, I don't really think it is an accident that we haven't seen this side of Molly before on her YouTube channel because Molly did make it very clear in the interview that she uses YouTube as a tool to stay relatable to her followers. This is what she said about the platform. To all my influencer friends, I say, start YouTube. Start YouTube. If you want your engagement to grow, if you want your audience to fall in love with you, if you want people to understand you more, you have to start YouTube because Instagram is it's, it's nothing. It's a mm. picture. I post one picture a day. What's anyone going to learn from that picture? Nothing. YouTube is where it's at. That's where they learn. That's where they engage with you and understand you and believe in you. I could not agree more with what Molly said, and I think there's a lot of influencers out there, particularly in Australia, that could learn from her because, as she said, it is so important for people to know who you are, what you are about, and to be relatable, and YouTube is the best platform to do that. And I've seen a lot of influencers that typically post a lot of bikini and glamour photos that try and go onto YouTube but they just miss the mark in the terms of relatability. Mm. And Molly May is someone that has a lot of expensive things. I mean, we'll go into the fact that she actually had over £800,000 worth of her property stolen. However, that aside, she she has this ability to show off her very expensive things and her very extravagant lifestyle with still being likable and relatable. And it would be a really hard balance to get right, but she does it so well. That's the thing. Every time I watch a video from Molly May, I leave it feeling really warm inside, like I've seen a friend. And I think that is the magic of Molly May and part of the recipe to her success. Yeah, I agree. And I did really enjoy seeing this new side of Molly May, as I think it's very easy for people to push a narrative that she just fell into this fame and success and it was all down to Love Island. However, it really is completely incorrect because as Molly said in her interview, everyone who leaves the villa is on the same level playing field and it's up to them where they go with it. And it's interesting because it does seem like the topic of Love Island is a difficult one for Molly to talk about. Yeah, I feel like you could definitely sense that during the interview, particularly when she was asked about her motivation for going on Love Island. And she has previously touched on it in a YouTube video before, and fans seemed to get upset when she was quite honest about why she went on the show. Now, during this podcast interview, Molly said, put it this way, I didn't go on the show to find love. No one does. People go on it for the experience. People go on it to have a laugh. I think because I went on there with probably an incorrect mindset, that's why I did come out with a boyfriend. Let's be honest, though. Do do any of the people that go on the show do it for love? I mean, do any of us actually think that anymore? Because we all know what a big business Love Island is and what a brilliant platform it is for people to elevate their own personal brand and, and get businesses out of it and become big influencers. And I don't think that's a secret anymore. That's the thing, Molly was heavily criticised when she was on Love Island because people did assume she only went on there to grow her influencer career and that is exactly what has happened. But as you say, Kate, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. As you say, the, the show is a platform for young people to build a life for themselves that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. And everyone that's on there is doing the same thing, even if they weren't an influencer to begin with. Now, on the topic of Molly being an influencer, I did find it really fascinating hearing her talk about her influencer days pre-Love Island, because I remember when she first appeared on the show, her job caption was, of course, social media influencer, but it was hard to tell how successful she actually was in the space 
before finding love on the show because their followings rise so quickly. Yeah, I always wondered the same thing. And Molly did confirm in this interview that she had around 170,000 followers before appearing on the show. She also said that when she was headhunted for Love Island, there was a part of her that thought she could actually be successful without the help of the show because her following was growing so rapidly and so organically at the time. Yeah, I found it really interesting that she stood by the fact that she thinks she would have hit 1 million followers by now without the show because she did have such a good work ethic around Instagram. Do you think that Molly has become so successful and I suppose the most successful person thus far off Love Island because she had a bit of a jump on the others in terms of already being an influencer before and kind of knew what it took to be successful in that space? I definitely think it has helped because being in that world, she would have understood how quickly she needed to move from the time she got out of the villa to, you know, start pumping out content and being consistent and the brands that she should be aligning aligning with, what sort of talent managers she should be working with. And I think because not everyone is great on camera. Like I've watched lots of YouTube videos from some of the new Love Island contestants like Chloe, who's just got out of the villa a couple of months ago. And she is terrible on camera. Like some people yeah, just don't it- know how to vlog. But even some people don't know how to take good photos. No. Like, I, I feel like there's a real art in that. I did find another really interesting part of the interview was when Molly spoke about her relationship with Cosmetic Filler because while it's not a new topic for her on her channel, as she did openly speak about getting her filler in her lips and face dissolved a while back, however, she gave more of an insight into how the influencer industry had affected her to get filler at just 17 years of age, which she pointed out was actually illegal at the time. Now, Molly said she felt like if she wanted to be a successful influencer and have lots of followers, she needed to get filler. And she said that there were two turning points when it came to dissolving her filler. So she said the first was when her sister called her when she was at a public appearance. Now, her sister had seen a photo of Molly pop up on Twitter and realized that her filler was just looking out of control. So she called her and said that we really need to talk about it. Now, the second was when a screenshot from one of Molly's videos went viral on Twitter. And Molly explained that she had just gone to get a lot of filler in her face and she filmed the video before letting it settle down. And at the time, she was getting called Quagmire from Family Guy and being compared to an Xbox controller. And she just said now when she looks back at photos of herself, she's just terrified because she sees a completely different person than she is now. Yeah, she did one of those flashbacks from a year ago to her standing at the same holiday spot she was visiting. And she did look like a completely different person. And I think that's why for so long I've always felt like Molly... May is a lot older. She's only 22 years old, but the Mm. filler was making her look far older than her years. And it was doing the complete opposite of what she really wanted it to do. Yeah, I found it so sad that she felt pressured to get filler at such a young age. And it really says a lot about the influencer industry and how it affects young women. And I suppose even that transition from having filler to then going back to what you originally looked like, because it really surprised me when Molly was talking about her experience of being on the cover for Cosmopolitan magazine, because she said landing the cover of Cosmopolitan had been such a big dream of hers. However, she actually ended up despising the photos and crying for days because it was the first time she'd been photographed without her filler in her face. And she just said that she didn't like what she looked like. And it was only once she had positive feedback about the photo that she started feeling better about it. And she explained that she's not usually like that. 
but she was just feeling so vulnerable without the filler because people hadn't seen her like that before. So the good news is, though, it actually ended up being a positive for her. And Molly explains why in the interview, which I'll throw to now. I looked really different. I did. And I think people noticed it, but people really admired it because it was different. Mm. It was new. No one had no one had really done that yet. I, I wouldn't want to say that I started a trend, but I do feel like I did start a bit of a trend with the sort of dissolving. And I, again, I'm proud of that because, yeah, I might have been a bit uneasy about it at first, but now loads of people are doing it and I love it. It's like a, an amazing movement. Although Molly is saying that she hasn't started a trend, I really feel like she did start a bit of a trend in the UK and also Australia with people reversing cosmetic procedures that they'd had done. I would like to say, though, it is definitely up to the individual whether they want to get cosmetic procedures or not. I don't want people to feel like we're shitting on anyone who gets lip filler done. I just think that, oh, and that's exactly what Molly said. She said, you know, she's got followers that were like, oh, no, does that mean we have to dissolve our lips now that, that Molly has? And she said, it's up to you. Like, if you like it, that's cool. But for her, she didn't feel like herself anymore. And she also wanted to show people that they didn't need it either because she had felt so pressured at 17, seeing everyone on Instagram with lip filler. That's the thing. I think it was such a brave decision to do it. And it would have been really difficult to put yourself out there because she did open herself up to a lot of criticism from trolls. Now, on the topic of the darker side of social media, Molly did open up about her house being burgled, which we did talk a lot about last month. Now, for those who don't remember, she had about £800,000 worth of possessions stolen, including a lot of jewellery. Now, this is what she had to say about her jewellery. I don't really wear my jewellery anymore. What I have left of it, I'm I'm not wearing it because I just it made me realise that it just doesn't really matter. People are just so cruel and... And, and they are jealous that these things, it's better off just to, I don't know. I, I just think it changed things for me. It took that superficialness away. It just made me realise actually these things aren't important. Your health and your happiness and your safety. Safety is key. I'm spending a fortune now on security, but really there's no price on feeling safe mm. at all because I'd rather spend money on security than spend it on a handbag. Mm. Because what makes you feel better now? The security, of course, because I can go down the street and know I'm okay, safe. I feel like it's really easy to be jealous of people on Instagram that have beautiful designer jewellery. However, hearing Molly May talk about the fact that all she wants to do is feel safe really put this whole situation into perspective because she is a 22-year-old girl that's been thrust into the spotlight. And yeah, she does have a lot of nice things, but does that mean she can't feel safe in her own home and has to feel guilty that she almost, I mean, I remember she spoke about how she felt like she'd almost brought this upon herself. And I do think it's the really the sad side of fame that a lot of people don't talk about. Now, even though Molly May is an influencer, she really is an A-list celebrity in the UK because she has been on one of the UK's largest reality TV shows that gets exported all over the world. She's a big deal in the UK and she has paparazzi following her on a daily basis. She also has people trying to track her down. Fans appear at her house. It would feel really yeah, scary. It would, it would feel really isolating. And then to top it off, to have your privacy invaded in the way she had and to have your whole house robbed, you would be scared at night going back to your apartment. And also the fact that Tommy, her partner, who is a boxer, is constantly away in the US. She is there on her own. It does put into perspective the price that she has to pay just to feel safe in her own home. 
Well, it's more the the cost of putting herself online because I don't know, would I want to have her level of fame and wealth, but then be scared wherever I go and have to take security? Like, I, I think I'd prefer to live a normal life. She was saying how she can't even, like she wanted to go down to one of the Christmas markets and it would be a, a whole ordeal for her. She'd have to get the 24-7 security to come with them because people just constantly are coming up for photos. And while she said she enjoys that and likes it and she has never rejected a photo of anyone, she said, it, you know, it does take up a lot of time and it can get very overwhelming. Now, she did also touch on during this interview her new role as PLT's creative director, and she spoke about the fact that she got a lot of backlash after her role was announced. Now, she said that it's not so much that she goes in and talks numbers with the team at PLT, but she is there to give her perspective on how things should be done almost from a consumer perspective and to give the voice of consumer. So she says that she will go into this studio and say, I think this needs to be changed. She'll give a new fresh set of eyes. What did you make of the way she described her her new role? Look, to be honest, this was one part of the interview that I was a bit dubious about because the interviewer, Stephen Bartlett, flat out was like, so what is your role? And she kind of spoke around it a little bit. So I am on the fence a bit about it. I don't want to tear this honor away from her. And it was interesting because I think the interviewer put this decision into a bit of a perspective because he said the owner of PLT loves hiring people that don't necessarily have the qualifications because as Molly mentioned, he loves having fresh sets of eyes in there. And it definitely seems like she does take her role very seriously. Like she went on about how much she really does love the brand. And I actually believed her because she explained that when she got out of Love Island, she had so many offers coming her way from fashion companies. And she said that basically all these people came and met with her, but PLT actually didn't. They phoned her and their offer was, I think she said three times less than some of the other people's, but she still went with them because she said they were one of the first brands she worked with when she was getting started. And she just believes in what they do and in the brand. So, I mean, either she's very good at spinning this belief in the brands that she aligns with, or she genuinely means it. It just still doesn't sit well with me that she is the face of this huge, fast fashion brand that is bad for the environment and that she believes so much in this brand. Well, it seems like she was trying to push a bit of good PR for PLT's way because she did mention how she was about to launch a new range with PLT. And on that night, sadly, it was announced that Caroline Flack had passed away and they decided to cancel the event. And then all the profit from her range went to a mental health charity called Mind. So while Obviously, the brand isn't great for the environment. It does seem like it aligns with some of her own personal Mm. values regarding mental health and charity work. And it seems like she's got a bit of say in that regard of what they do. Now, I did get really annoyed because this was such an interesting interview with so many different elements. But The Sun decided to write an article that completely missed the mark. Yeah, they decided to run with the headline, Lona, I've only got five mates and would rather make money than waste my time on making friends, says Molly Mae Haig. Now, this was followed by a lead that read, Molly Mae Haig might be a millionaire, but there's one thing she's not rich in, friends. Now, this headline is in relation to the answer Molly gave when the interviewer asked her if she had many friends. And this is what she said. Have you got a lot of friends? No. 
I don't. That's a, that's a blunt question. Yeah, no. I, There's lots I, of blunt questions here. <laughs> <laughs> um, straight up, no. No, I don't. My circle is minuscule. I have literally about five people in my circle and that includes friends. I have acquaintances and I have people in my life that I, I say are my friends, but I, no, I, my circle is absolutely tiny and I like it that way. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I work, I spend time with my boyfriend and I go to bed. That is literally my life. And I'm not bothered about a social life. It's never been something that I've been interested in. I don't know if you've like, I don't know if you know, but I, I don't really drink. I don't party. I don't go out. But that is just because I actually don't enjoy it. It's not for me. I'd rather just focus on making money, being successful and and being happy. That's friends. They, they come and go. And mm. I just, I find it a, waste of, a bit of a waste of time. It really pissed me off that this was the focus of the Sun's article because I feel like there was so much more to take from the interview. This is a young woman who is very inspirational and intelligent and has managed to build such an amazing career for herself at such a young age. And I feel like it's a little bit sexist and they were trying to make her sound like a bit of a mean Mm. girl acting like she's too good for her friends. I mean, personally... I feel like when you're in your 20s, it's pretty common to lose friends along the way as your lives change, particularly if you're when you're in very different places. Now, for us mere mortals, that might be if you decide to go to uni and someone else decides to get a full-time job. But when you're cast into completely a different life, you're very famous, you've got a lot of money, sadly, you're not going to be on the same page as some of your friends that you went to high school with. And let's be honest, there would be a lot of jealousy there. And I do think that people could get their backs up about it. I mean, I'd be jealous. Yeah, there'd be so many of these friends coming out of the woodwork as soon as she'd come off Love Island trying to befriend her and hang out with her. And I think the other element too is that she left Love Island with her boyfriend, Tommy. So the fact that she's in this new relationship, they've moved in together when heaps of us get into relationships, sometimes we don't have as much time for our friends, sadly, and that is sort of a way of life and growing up. Yeah, I just feel like it was a very normal thing. And to try and push her, I'm a loner or whatever, it's like it was clearly a joke. She was, she was just saying that, sadly, her life is very busy. I mean, she said that her relationship with Tommy is basically long distance because they're just so busy all mm. the time. And you would be, and you'd be wanting to make the most out of this little pocket of time that you have because let's be honest if you're not putting a lot of effort in you're not going to have the longevity of success and she has managed to come out of Love Island two years ago and continue just to get bigger and bigger and that takes hard work. I can't hide like how like much I've answered you. We call me give me fanny flutters. (laughs) Yeah, I'm got a funny, but if I did, you'd give me funny flutters too. Now, Love Island winner Millie Court's career has gone full circle. Before entering the villa, she was a buyer's administrator for ASOS, and now she's launched a new collection with the online fashion brand that is so popular it caused the website to crash on its first day. Now, I think that this is just such a great PR story for ASOS and also Millie. What do you think, Kate? Well, I just want to take the moment to gloat again that Amy and I were right about this ASOS collaboration and it makes so much sense and I think it's really great that this has actually happened. I mean, can you imagine working, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put down a buyer's assistant, but it's not, you know, the number one job at ASOS, going from there to going to having your own range, like how incredible, what what a moment for Millie. Yeah, I'm so I am so happy for her because I love the fact that she I'm not not that a buyer's administrator is a shit kicker, but I do love the fact that she had a bit of a shit kicker job there and now she's launched this new collection. 
And it's pretty interesting because people are saying it's a collection, but it is more of a style edit. Now, I'm not a fashionista, but a style edit is because she has created some pieces, but also it's including pieces of things that she would like to wear and her top picks of things like makeup and shoes. Okay, so is it stuff that goes with her new items? Yes, pretty much. That's a better way of explaining it. And the funniest piece of the collection has to be a fluffy cow print coat, which she named the Millie Moo after the nickname (laughs) that her boyfriend Liam gave her in the villa. That is fantastic. (laughs) What a clever person whoever came up with that. Uh, Maybe Millie. Now, when launching the collection on Instagram, Millie wrote to her followers, it feels so surreal to be typing this out right now. From working at ASOS doing my nine to five to now telling you guys to go and shop my edit. This day will go down in history. Now, it is predicted that off the back of this collaboration and also another recent collaboration that she did with an eyelash company, that Millie has become an instant millionaire. Well, she joins a lot of other instant millionaires off Love Island. It will be interesting to see if she will have the longevity like Molly May. And I do think a part of that may be down to how successful her relationship is with Liam. Definitely. Well, they have just moved into a very flash apartment with one another in Essex. So Liam has moved from Wales to be with her in Essex. So their relationship does seem to be going very strong. I do follow both of them on Instagram and I think that they do come across a lot more genuine and authentic than some of the other couples do. Millie did just celebrate her 25th birthday party and, you know, they were just at home the night before doing normal couple things and seemed very much in love. I saw that Kaz and Tyler have broken up. And again, I was not surprised at all. I really felt like he was only in it for the show and the fame and that he didn't really give a shit about Kaz. Poor Kaz. I feel like this is turning into a bit of a Love Island UK recap because we also have to share the exciting news that two Islanders have got engaged over the week. Now, and they are not from the same series, yes, though. Not from the same se- series. They were a series apart. So those might remember Luke Abbott, who looked very much like Justin Bieber, and a contestant called Lucy Donlan. Now, she was the blonde, very surfy looking girl. And she she dated the sandwich guy, Joe, yeah. or something, didn't she? Yeah. She said she was looking for a surfy boyfriend. And I think she had the hots for Tommy Fury, too, but he, it wasn't reciprocated, obviously. <laughs> Now, it has surprised a lot that he actually proposed to her during a holiday to Finland. So it was the complete opposite environment of, you know, a hot Spanish villa. They were in a freezing cold, almost igloo looking house. I was still getting my head around the fact that they were actually a couple, let alone engaged, because it's so weird to see two people from two different series of Love Island. But it is great that they found love. I feel like the show is pretty successful in putting people together, even if it's not on the same series. This is what I always tell my boyfriend. There are a lot of success stories out of this show. Maybe they should take a leaf out of The Bachelor's book and do a bit of a mashup with old cast members, sort of like Bachelor in Paradise. I would love to see that with Love Island contestants. Who was that? Just a friend. You've made a new friend? Oh, a friend? Since when have you had other friends? Oh, friend. Just before we get into the next topic, we did want to issue a trigger warning because we do discuss topics of abortion. 
Sarah's day revealed in a YouTube video that she thought she was going into early labour last week after she experienced intense Braxton Hicks contractions. Now, Kate, for those who aren't across it, can you give us some background about this pregnancy journey? Yeah, so Sarah is currently 27 weeks pregnant with her second child, and this pregnancy has been closely followed by many across social media, as sadly, Sarah and her husband have revealed that their baby will likely be born with an undisclosed health condition, and they found out the news after Sarah went for an NIPT test, which screens for genetic conditions. Initially, they were told by their doctors to terminate the pregnancy, but following calls with pediatricians, counsellors and specialist practitioners, the couple felt empowered to continue with the pregnancy. Now, Sophie, can you get us up to date with what's been happening more recently? Yeah, so in a new vlog, Sarah said that she recently had met with her midwife who said that she was actually tracking two weeks ahead in terms of her size. And I feel like this baby bump is the most photographed baby bump in history. And I've even noticed that her stomach is a lot bigger than in her previous pregnancy with Fox. Well, I feel like you've only noticed it because she mentions it so often and she seems very fixated on it. And I personally thought this was because she has in the past had an unhealthy relationship with food and seems to be quite fixated on exercising and what she looks like. However, it does seem like she actually is onto something in this case. Yeah, so as I said, the midwife did confirm that she is tracking two weeks ahead in terms of size. And she said that this isn't uncommon for the second pregnancy. Now, Sarah then went on to explain that she has been a bit MIA across her social media platforms because she did, in fact, have to spend a night in hospital. Now, Sarah said that during her pregnancy with Fox and this pregnancy, she has been experiencing some Braxton Hicks contractions. Now, for those who haven't heard of them before, because I didn't know too much about them, they are contractions in the uterus that happen to kind of prepare for birth. So it is something that pregnant women do experience. And they kind of mimic the pain of contractions. Well, it's kind of preparing the uterus to have those sort of contractions, I believe. So the morning before Sarah went into hospital, she said that she woke up feeling quite different. So her stomach had dropped quite considerably and she said that the baby felt a lot lower. Now, this seemed a bit strange to me because despite feeling this way, she said that she continued and she went out to do a workout and she was doing some very narrow squats and she felt as though the baby's head was between her legs. Now, this would have been time for me to sit back down, go to the hospital, like what the fuck is happening Stop working out. (laughs) Stop working out, yeah. Now, this is what she said about the incident. I woke up that morning and I looked lower and I felt lower. I was gonna do narrow squats in my workout and I felt like there was something in between my legs, like something in my vag. And it honestly felt like his head. I was like, what is going on? My belly was even lower than today. I showed Kurt, he was like, are you okay? I was surprised Sarah was giving so much detail about what happened because I feel like there are a lot of people, I mean, I said as a joke, she should have stopped exercising, but there are a lot of people that like to shame mums and pregnant women. So I feel like she could have kept a lot of this private. Yeah, I felt a bit uncomfortable watching this, to be honest, as well, because she continued by saying that she wasn't alarmed by what had happened, but told herself to keep an eye on her body during the day. So she seemed to go about her day as usual. She had a meeting with a co-worker 
And then she had a late night meeting till about 10.30. And she said during this meeting, the contractions were getting so strong and she was in so much discomfort that when she walked back to her car at the end of the meeting, that she had to hold her belly up because she felt like there was so much pressure on her cervix. Now, she then went and lay in bed and apparently these Braxton Hicks got so much more intense and got so much stronger that they started to feel like period cramps and she started to get a lot of pressure in her lower back. And she thought, oh my God, am I actually about to have a baby? Because these contractions were three minutes apart. So it really was mimicking labor. So at this stage, Sarah decided to call her sister, who is a midwife, and they ended up going to the hospital. And Sarah said she felt really guilty about getting her midwife out of bed and also waking up Fox. And I did feel for her because, you know, when you're, you've got a pain or something, I mean, I'm not even pregnant, I'm just a hypochondriac, but I have a pain and I'm like, oh, is that serious? Should I be, you know, making a big deal about this? And you always downplay things that are going on. So I could very much relate to this. So at the hospital, the doctors monitored the contractions and heartbeat for an hour. They also checked her cervix and did a swab that came back with a protein that indicated that she wasn't going into early labor and that was okay to go home. Now, she did say that the doctor said she had a very raw and sensitive cervix and she wanted to wait to get a pap smear after her pregnancy to see what this was about. And she is just so open and gives you every single medical detail that is going on. And she did preface in this vlog that she hasn't been very open, of course, about what is happening medically with her unborn child, but she does feel comfortable to take people along for the journey of what's happening to her own body. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Outspoken. If you have enjoyed it, could you please make sure you are subscribed on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts and you are following us on our Instagram, which is outspoken underscore the underscore podcast. 